Welcome to the Delano Newsmakers podcast, bringing context to the stories that matter in Luxembourg. I'm Jess Baldry, and today we talk about a subject that some people have difficulty discussing. Money, and what to do with it when, for the first time, you have more than you need. I had a friend who had excess savings thanks to uh, the pandemic and the fact that she had not spent that money for, for quite some months. And she was into a divorce. And she was seriously considering buying the half of the house that belonged to her husband. She was a 12-month time horizon. And she came to me because she really wanted to invest her spare savings into cryptos so that she would get, you know, enough profit from it within 12 months to buy the house back. So that's a bit the frenzy that got around cryptos that you can see, you know, over the past month, especially during COVID period where people had a lot of spare time to devote to, to cryptos. Did she do it? I guess she did it. Um, I really tried to walk her through the many, many reasons why this was not a good idea. But I guess that the greed was was too high. And it was in, I think, March of April this year, which basically means that if she did it, she probably bought it at one of the highest highs and got a correction right after because, you know, it dropped significantly in May. So I highly doubt that she managed to finance the house with the crypto assets that she bought. That was Gail Haag, an entrepreneur whose startup StarTailors aims to make sustainable investing accessible to all genders. Gail, we know that the pandemic led to a 9% drop in consumer spending in Luxembourg in 2020, and it led to savings of 1.2 billion euros in the bank. Now, for some, it's going to be the first time that they have had excess savings to invest. And it seems like everyone, insurance firms, banks and funds, they're all scrambling for this money. But before considering investing, what are the first questions they need to ask themselves? Interesting environment, indeed. Uh, The very first question you should ask yourself is, are you ready to invest both from a financial perspective and second, from a knowledge perspective? If you go first into the financial perspective, excess cash is not directly investable. And what I mean by that is you need to have a kind of a cushion that we called emergency fund or rainy days fund, which can be anywhere between six and 12 months of expenses, depending on how risk averse you are, but also um, how stable your financial situation is. So what I mean by that is if you have a salary job with a very flexible uh, market, the risk of losing your job is less prominent and requires probably a less of a cushion than if you are into a very specific niche market where uh, losing your job uh, will mean six to 12 months uh, to find a new one. And then you might want to have more excess savings. So the first thing we say is between six and 12 months of cash or Casi cash, which means, you know, a current account or savings account, which are highly liquid. That means you can actually get that money within, you know, instantly or within an hour. And also, which is not at risk of uh, fluctuating uh, depending on market circumstances. That's the very first check you have to have on your financial checklist. Then 
in terms of knowledge, there's a minimum, I would say, knowledge that you need to have. You don't need to be an expert, but understanding the products and the different options that you're confronted with, uh, even if you're taking you know, the advice of a financial advisor or of your banker, having a minimum understanding on what is behind the product, how it evolves and what the risk profile is, is important before making a decision. So if you have a significant amount of excess savings, why not just keep it in a savings account? For two reasons. First, inflation. And second, the effect of compounding interests over time. If we talk about inflation, we're talking about the appreciation in price of uh, commodities, so basically of goods you consume every day. So 100 euro today are not worth the same in terms of purchasing power uh, that 100 euros in you know two years or even worse, 10 years, 15 years. So just to protect your purchasing power against inflation, um, investing your extra cash, you know, the cash you have uh, above your um, uh, emergency fund helps you at least protect yourself against inflation. So if you consider that in the Eurozone, um, the, the European Central Bank who's regulating you know, the inflation rates targets a 2% inflation rate, that means that your excess cash should be invested in different assets um, in such a way that it yields at least 2% net of fees, because uh, we're going to come to that in a minute. And the second reason why you should um, not leave it on, a, on on savings account is because today interest rates on savings account are uh, zero or like very, very low, um, which basically means that over the long run, you have an opportunity cost of not investing uh, your money in more lucrative um, investments. And what's, what's a bit... Magic, if you want, with uh, with investing is that the benefits you do with investing when you reinvest them are, are yielding uh, benefits themselves, and that's what we call compounding interest. It's a bit like a snowball effect, you know, like small amounts invested on a regular basis have a huge impact over a long period of time. So, of course, over six months, you won't see the difference um, that much, but over a 10, 15 uh, a year horizon. Um, this benefit of compounding interest, meaning the interest you earn on the interest or the return you earn on the return of your investments, has a significant effect. So you have to do less work with your own capital, means you know how much you have to work to generate additional revenue, and your money is doing the heavy lifting for you and for your long-term objectives. It's what people will mean when they say making your money work for you, exactly. right? Exactly. Okay. So let's say our listeners, they all have this emergency fund squirreled away, lucky them, and they have a fat wad of euros in excess savings they want to invest. The first thing many people will think of is crypto. And I have to ask, do you own any Bitcoin? And if not, will you ever? So I do own Bitcoins. I also own a couple of other crypto assets. However, uh, they represent a small share of my total uh, investments. And in general, a good rule of thumb is between 5 and 10% of your total assets, depending on a number of criteria, uh, the most important being how risk-averse you are, because cryptos are considered as a risky asset. And second, um, how knowledgeable you are about that asset class. So that for me um, has been quite a... I would say something that kept me awake at night uh, over the past months, seeing how many people got into cryptos as their first investment ever and how they were like so certain that it could only go up. 
that I had many friends who never invested before with whom we had like endless conversations about how risky and, you know, financial markets are and that they would never put their money in. And then all of a sudden they became crypto traders uh, and they were looking at, you know, their crypto applications every second hour. And that was, yeah, it was beginning of the year. So all the way up to April and then May, of course, you had this correction and all of them lost money. Um, so I don't think they will invest in cryptos again, which which is also a mistake because I think there is um, there's also a lot of good things to say about cryptos. It's just this fear of missing out that brought a lot of newbie or, or, or new investors into cryptos that were buying things without even understanding what the underlying assets were. And then, of course, markets dropped because valuations were just super high. And now I guess a lot of them got scared and will probably think twice before getting into any type of investments. So that's that's a bit of a pity. Okay, so I know that you have mixed feelings about cryptocurrencies, but um, to what extent is this a risk investment then for a first time investor, not just because it's fluctuating, it's also because it's it's not regulated, right? I wouldn't say it's not regulated because some regulators have started to grant agreements to crypto platforms. So some are more regulated than others. I would say the functioning of the market is a non-regulated market indeed. One good example is the Bitcoin and the Dogecoin markets have been heavily influenced by uh, the tweets of Elon Musk, for instance. Well, what Elon Musk is doing in terms of manipulating the price of Bitcoin and Dogecoin would be considered a crime in regulated markets. This is called price manipulation and it's forbidden. Well, here in Bitcoins, in Dogecoins and all others, you know, there is no regulatory entity or regulatory body that could say, okay, you know, you're not allowed to tweet on certain topics where you could be considered as a privileged uh, person. Uh, There's also, it's more like the uncertainty. I think eventually this market will be regulated, but in what shape, with what consequences for current holders, it's not yet clear. Will Bitcoin be the regulated crypto asset or will states decide to launch their own cryptocurrency and thus Bitcoin will completely lose its own proof of existence or its own reason for existing? All of the reasons make it still right now a very uncertain, I would say, asset. As much as I am very optimistic about you know the future of crypto assets and decentralized finance, it's still, I think for me, early to say that Bitcoin is the answer. It may be one of the answer or not. And so that's the only thing you need to keep in mind when you start investing in this is there is still a lot of uncertainty. It's still like the far west. Uh, so very cowboy type of market. Prices can fluctuate within a day at magnitudes that you don't see in traditional assets. So you have to be ready for that. And that's why I say having 5%, 10% if you're a risk taker of your assets there uh, makes perfect sense if you want to diversify. The problem is when you start with those 5% and make it 100%. We've also seen a lot of activity on trading platforms and not just to make money, but also in the name of activism investing with the GameStop case. Now, when we spoke before today, you described this as a more virtuous trend than crypto. So what are the pros and cons of uh, trading platforms? So GameStop indeed was a very interesting uh, case uh, from a behavioral point of view. 
GameStop is, you know, a company in the US that sells video games, but still in physical format in shopping malls. Has lost value consistently, you know, over the years. Well, because, you know, the business model is probably not fit for a purpose anymore. Blockbuster was for videos. Exactly. But then hedge funds, so it's like institutional funds that are uh, betting against uh, certain trends, actually, and benefiting from from that, uh, have started betting against a GameStop and betting the fact that the price would would still go down. It started with geeks, really, who like, like you know gamers, basically, who were really sad about how those hedge funds were actually accelerating. I would say the downfall of GameStop for pure speculation decided to re- rebel and uh, through the Reddit platform, which is quite popular among you know self-directed investors and and also gamers, etc., tried to rally a number of uh, self-directed investors to actually buy GameStop, thus making you know the price rise and proving the hedge funds wrong. Turns out that it got a massive uh, uh, relay on Reddit and the prices uh, surged and those hedge funds lost, you know, millions, if not if not billions on that. And what was interesting is also how the markets reacted. So the platforms like Robinhood, which has been very popular, uh, especially uh, during COVID times, again, people had more time. So they started, you know, looking at what they could do with their money and they used Robinhood, which is, um, you know, a a platform that gamifies investing. So it makes it very easy for first-time investors to start trading stocks. Some say even too easy because some weeks ago they got uh, huge fines from the, the regulator, the US regulator, because they consider that they make it too easy, too gamified, uh, thus influencing new investors into buying products that seem simple, but actually too complex for them. But that's a a side, um, I would say, a side discussion. So back to GameStop, those platforms tried to stop the flows going into GameStop, which then led to, you know, a massive controversy whether all investors should be given the same right, why should in- institutional investors be protected? I mean, they played against GameStop, they lost, so what? And on the other side, those uh, retail investors that invest in GameStop, you know, they wouldn't make any money from it. Or maybe they did by doing very short sale. But over the long run, they bought a stock that was valued at probably 100 times their real value. But it was not about that. It was about making a statement. Um, and also in times where, you know, there were already a lot of, probably a lot of proof of inequalities of how this pandemic also, you know, surfaced a lot of the inequalities that already happened in the world. That was probably, you know, the drop too much. And I found that interesting that it's, it starts to be a proof that small investors and even small amounts can actually make a difference if we can rally enough. And if you think about the transition that needs to happen in this world, you know, we're talking about environmental transition, social transition. I think it was a very good showcase that unlike what many things that, you know, I will not make a difference uh, if I'm just, you know, a regular small investor, uh, whatever I do with my money will not change the world. Uh, Well, you have a proof that it is not true. And thus, for me, was also a good case for me to say, look, every basically euro you spend or every euro invest does make a difference. So invest it wisely and think not only about the financial consequences, but also what lies behind, you know, what is the model you're investing in? What is 
is the impact uh, you're having through your investments. And GameStop is a perfect example of your ability to change things. I think probably a lot of investors will will be just thinking about the money side of things, unfortunately. Exactly. And they'll be thinking, what's the safe, you know, especially the conservative investors, they'll be thinking, well, maybe the safest bet is to go with a product from their retail bank, maybe an insurance firm. I know I've been contacted by lots of insurance firms recently. Now, we know these products are tax deductible up to €3,200 per year, which makes them quite attractive. But these might not necessarily be the best investment moves. Is that right? Depends on how you look at it. I would say yes and no. Um, No, if uh, the alternative is doing nothing, then you're always better off investing those 3000 200 euros into an investment product, even if it just yields uh, inflation, versus spending them. That's, of course, a no-brainer. However, the reality is, most of the case, this tax incentive is what makes people start investing. So that's why I say uh, they have the benefit of being there and forcing this this first move. Now, if the alternative is taking the same amount and investing it in a more dynamic portfolio then it might not be that interesting anymore. So uh, what I want to say is you have this tax advantage, true, but over the long run, it is eroding because of the high fees that you usually pay on those insurance or those retail banking products. So you really have to look at it carefully because you have performance fees, but then you also have entry fees, exit fees, and all of them add up. And if you look at the performance side of it, they're usually quite conservative in, in their asset allocation. So how much risk, but then also how much reward you have. Those products are very long-term oriented products because, you know, you have constraints in terms of the number of years that you need to hold them before they are fully uh, taxed. I mean, before you you don't get penalties if you, if you have an early uh, withdrawal. So if you add all of this up, and we've, we've done the maths and most of the time, if you have a more dynamic profile, it's more interesting to not benefit from the tax deduction. Just take that money and invest the same amount into a dynamic portfolio that has lower fees, better performance. And over the 15 or 20 years of holding, you get much better results, which is why I'm always very nuanced when it comes to those products. If it's this or nothing, then it's definitely a good product. If it's this versus something else, you usually have other alternatives that could be more revenue generating. Okay, well, we're going to move on to a topic which we know that people love to talk about in Luxembourg, and that's real estate. And we know that the value of real estate and land is constantly, constantly booming in Luxembourg. House prices rose on average. It was 16% in 2020. Um, Although it's meant to slow down a little this year, it's still growing. So, what would you say to anyone who's going to invest in real estate here? It's uh, it's funny because actually both my sister and my brother are contemplating investing in real estate in Luxembourg these days. And so I have this conversation uh, on a very regular basis. I'm not here to say whether you should or should not invest, but rather give you some pointers to try to have a, I would say, more educated, but also a more rational approach towards real estate investing. The first one is, why do you consider buying real estate? Is it really an investment or is it a, a more an emotional uh, acquisition? Because 
very often when we look at uh, real estate for our primary residence, there's many, many emotional factors that come into play before a pure financial return. Otherwise, probably half of the investments that I see uh, we make would not be done because the prices are so high and the rental return actually is definitely not in sync with prices of, of the land. You would probably be better off investing in another country where returns are better and it's less capital intensive, I would put it that way. But of course, having a roof under your head, being, you know, owner of your own uh, residence, all of this, you know, you cannot really put a price on it. So that's why I say I'm not there. But when it comes to pure financial reasons, exactly as you said, the market has risen already so much over the past years. And I know, you know, already 20 years ago, people thought it was too high and, and they were like, don't buy. But at some point, you know, now I live in, in Strassen, for instance, to have a house in Strassen, you can't have anything below LA, a million, million point two. So at some point, it's the absolute value is just becoming so high that access to property becomes very difficult. So how much more can you can you get? That's one. So you probably buy at a high valuation. I'm not saying it will go down, um, but it cannot go much, much higher. Um, so you're buying high. So whatever uh, happens within the next 5, 10, 15 years, you have to know that you will have it, you know, you, you, you bought it at a quite high valuation, meaning if you need a mortgage for that, you will get like quite significant indebtedness. If you need to sell it for whatever reason, and God knows, you know, life is unpredictable, in 10 or 15 years from now, you still have a mortgage running because to be able to afford a house at over a million or an apartment at over 700 uh, euros, you would probably have a big loan. Your loan to value is important. So... I know that the tendency is to say, okay, you know, I will try to have a loan as big as possible and have a loan to value, which means what proportion of the value of the investment have you been able to borrow? You have a tendency to go to 100%. However, that basically means that if you need to sell and uh, you sell at a reduced price, there will be a part that doesn't cover the loan. So you will not have the house anymore, but you will still have to reimburse part of the loan. So that's the first thing which I found quite intimidating if, I, uh, if I'm putting myself in the shoes of you know, new and young investors. Uh, the second is interest rates. Especially in Luxembourg, I see mechanisms. So I've been on a fixed rate when I bought my house 10 years ago because that's a French-Belgian type of attitude. It's like you, you prefer to have you know, flat long-term rates. But it also made sense because rates are quite low. Now you have variable rates, which looks on paper very interesting. However, right now you have more and more rumors I would say, of inflation, rising interest rate. I mean, again, they're very low. They cannot get, you know, much, much lower. So on a variable rate with such low interest rate, they can only go up. So wh what I see and, and what makes me a bit nervous when I talk to my, uh, to my family or to friends that is like, okay, so you're buying at high valuation with a high loan to value. You finance it at half variable interest rates, which can only go up. That seems for me a lot of risk to take. So of course, from a bank perspective, they make sure that they have their risk assessment, etc. But still for you, it means that you may end up in five or 10 years having to sell or wanting to sell because you want to buy bigger 
together and not being able to reinvest or to recoup basically and, and, and be owner again. That's one thing. And the second thing is what we rarely do and from a financial perspective makes a lot of sense is comparing two options. Okay, let's say you want to buy property right now and you say, no, it's a good deal because I'm paying a, a rent right now. So uh, it's basically saving money, except that your rent is probably 1,500. Uh, I'm taking real figures to try to be at that. And then uh, you go to uh, a loan where you reimburse 3,000 or 3,200 euro. The difference between the two, if you are able to reimburse that, means you're probably able to save it and invest it right now, but you don't. And so, yes, you, you compare things that are not comparable. If you would do the same efforts in saving and investing and look at the return you could get on financial market versus money that is actually sleeping or it's not sleeping, it's invested in a, in a real estate property, but that probably won't gain as much value as it used to be in the past and probably not as much as you could have over that period in, in other assets. The benefits, if you want pure financial benefit of being an owner in Luxembourgish market conditions may not be as rosy as, uh, as you could think. And again, I'm not saying it is or it is not. I'm saying make the math and you'll probably be surprised about how lucrative investing in, in, in real estate in Luxembourg could be. Gail Hug, thank you very much. Most welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can listen to all our podcasts on Delano.lu and on all podcast platforms. And subscribe to the Delano newsletter for all the latest Luxembourg news in English. Sign up on Delano.lu.